Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. If I can get my microphone on. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to move some things around real quick. I'm excited. So we're starting. We've, we've finished our sermon series on worship, right? If y'all with me for the past three weeks, we've been going over worship. And we came uh, to the conclusion about worship that worship is what? Love expressed. Thank you for the two or three of y'all that have paid attention and are willing to express your answer to me. Worship is one more time. Love expressed, right? And we said that if you love God, you will express that love for God. If you don't love God, you will not express your love for God because you don't have any, right? And, and we talked about that and how I'm excited because as Jesus comes and he has flipped inside out and busted the box that we have put worship in, he does the same exact thing with what we think about service, how Christians think about what it means to serve God, Jesus flips it upside down and completely breaks it out of the box. We said that worship is love expressed. Worship is an encounter with God. And um, when you give your all to Jesus, that's when you are worshiped because he is worthy of everything. Right? Jesus is worthy of all power and all honor and all glory. We talked about that last week and how the woman came and she gave everything to Jesus. Right? And so with service, um, I want to ask you guys a question. I asked the men this morning what they thought uh, a great man was. What does it mean to be a great man? I want to ask you all this morning, when you think of greatness or when you think of someone who is great, someone who has made it to the top, what do you think of? What, what are some characteristics of someone who is great? Y'all say it out loud. Come on. Faithful. What? They see Christ. They see Christ. Faithful. Faithful. What else? When you think of someone who is great, what are some of the person's characteristics? Kind. Kind. Godly. Godly. Faithful. Faithful. Come on, a couple more. Compassionate. Compassionate. I think of LeBron James, the greatest basketball player to ever play the game of basketball. He is strong, right? You, you get in that man's way, he's going to run you over. Okay? What else? Well, a couple more things. The, when you think of someone great, what are some of their characteristics? Strong. Smart. Smart. Intelligent. Intelligent. Smart. Intelligent. I pray some of us were more intelligent, right? So this is what happens in our culture today, right? Our culture today tells us in order to be great, we have to be powerful. We have to be strong. We have to be successful. We have to have all the stuff, all the toys, all the money. We have to have kids who act amazing, right? In order to be great in today's culture, you have to have those things. But Jesus comes, and if we're not careful, we will fall into this trap that our culture is trying to put us in. Jesus comes, and he breaks that whole idea of what great looks like. And we're going to get into that this morning. But we have to have a different mindset of what greatness looks like. We, we have to, if Christianity today is going to survive, right? Do you hear me when I'm saying this? If Christianity is going to survive, it's not because God died. It's because we fell into the trap our culture is putting us in, right? You guys with me this morning? So if we're going to serve God, right, if we're going to be Christian to serve God, we have to have the right mindset on what greatness is. And we have to have the right mindset of what it looks like to serve God. 
So let's pray and ask God to prepare us for that. Um, this is another, man, I'm telling you, these past few weeks, it's hard for me to study for these type of sermons because it convicts me as I'm studying it, right? So let's pray and ask God to work in our lives. Pray with me, Heavenly Father. Um, God, we thank you for the, the beautiful way that Tony expressed his love for you through baptism this morning. Um, God, thank you for working in his life. But right now, Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts right now, Father. That you would prepare our minds, that you would change in us something, God, um, so that we know how to serve you, God. We want to worship and to serve you. So, God, I pray that you would speak through us through the text, that you would use me as your microphone, and that we would expect you to move this morning, God. God, I pray that you do not let us leave unchanged, that you break down um, the walls that we are putting up against you, God. We love you. In your son's name, amen. Mark, Mark chapter 10. Verse 35, we're going to be sitting in this um, little section for a little while. Um, Go ahead and turn Mark 10, verse 35. And it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. Okay, so you guys know Jesus had how many disciples? Is this microphone going out? We had tw- he had 12 disciples, but in that group of 12, Jesus was really close to about two or three of those men. Yes. Right? He had his friend group, but then he had his, his buddies, right? the guys that he was close to. And James and John were two of those people that Jesus was really, really close to. And so basically what they just did is they pulled off what every little kid does to their grandparents or mothers and dads at some point, Right? They come up, raise your hand if you've experienced this. Your child comes up to you, butters you up a little bit. Mom, I love you so much. Dad, hey, Dad, you're, you're the best dad in the whole world, right? You're so good. Hey, I'm, I'm going to ask you something, but can you just tell me yes now? Um, and, and if you just tell me yes, then I won't even have to ask you the question. Has anyone ever experienced that before? That's how I got away with uh, detentions in school. I would tell my teachers, oh, your hair looks so good, Miss McIntyre. Your hair looks so... And they would, I wouldn't get detention, right? So James and John, they're coming to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, I want you to do whatever we're about to ask you. Can you just go ahead and say yes? Right? And I'm going to explain why that is ridiculous here in a minute. Look at verse 36. And he said to them... What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. So the question is, your question isn't about where they're going to sit. Their question is about position and power in Jesus' kingdom. Are y'all seeing that, what I'm seeing? They're, They're looking for position and power. They're saying, hey, Jesus, we want to be top three in heaven. We know that you're top one. You're the big dog, right? You, you're God, but... We want to be number two and three. So how can we, how can we, can you just let us do that, right? And to me, that's crazy because here's why. Right before they have this little meeting, right, before they come and ask Jesus this, Jesus has already told them two or three times, hey guys, just so you know, there's going to come a day and it's coming quick. I'm not going to be here much longer. They're going to, I'm going to be betrayed by one of y'all. They're going to betray me, first of all. And I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to die. And he's told this to them a few times. Now, what's crazy to me is if you're thinking that these are Jesus' best friends, they wouldn't be trying to get something out of him. Right? In reality, I would think that if someone was to tell you, hey, I'll have a few months to live, you would go and you would try to spend time with them. You would ask them questions. You would figure out ways that you can serve them. Are y'all with me on that? 
right? It's kind of weird, like if the dad tells the son one day, hey, I'm going to die and you're going to get all my inheritance, and the son say, well, can you just go ahead and give me the stuff and die now? Right? You, no one does that, right? So these men, hey, Jesus, hey, we know, yeah, you're going to die. We want these two seats, okay? Um, they're thinking about power and position. That is called entitlement. Y'all say that word, entitlement. Entitlement. That is the main word that I feel describes us today. Entitled. Entitlement. Just as James and John felt like they were entitled to those high seats, we sometimes forget that we are called to serve. And, and when, if you think about it, we don't even think about ways that we can serve Jesus anymore. In reality, churches today and why churches are closing their doors for good is because they have stopped thinking, hey, Jesus, how can we serve you? How can we serve people? And they started saying, hey, we're just going to serve ourselves. We, we, we want every program that we do in the church to, to focus on how good we feel and what we want to do here. And that's why you see churches. I mean, guys, if you don't know this, don't be naive. Churches are dying in America. Do y'all, are y'all aware of that? When your focus leaves Jesus and serving him and goes inward and you become entitled, faith is dead. Y'all with me? So I know the men have an excuse. We had a big breakfast this morning. I can tell they're tired, but women, come on. I need somebody to say amen with me. Wake up. Come on. They were entitled. Look at verse 38 with me. And this is Jesus' response. And Jesus said to him, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism in which I am being baptized? Guys, if you realize Jesus didn't get angry, Jesus, just how Jesus is, this is how good Jesus Christ is. When we respond, when we ask Jesus something ridiculous, when we act selfish, Jesus doesn't respond in hate or like this crazy authority. He responds in grace. Guys, hey, look, I know what you're asking me. But you really don't understand what you're asking. He responds to us in grace. My mama would have slapped me upside my head. Right? Jesus says, you guys don't understand. You do not know what you're talking about. When, what it means when Jesus is talking about this cup, can you, can you drink from the cup that I have to drink from? Anytime you see the cup in Scripture, most of the time it's referring to the wrath of God. We see it in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and in Revelation that the wrath of God is like a cup and he wants to pour it out over people. Because that's how much he hates sin. Our sin builds up wrath in God and he has to get rid of this wrath because God is a just God. Jesus says, hey, I will, we sing a song about it this morning, right? The cup of of wrath being poured out on Jesus, right? He's saying, can y'all die the death that I have to die in order to forgive sins? And when he talks about the baptism, he talks, hey, can you, can you go through what I'm about to go through? Can you go through the beating and the persecution and the betrayal and feel what I'm about to feel? Can y'all do that? Right. And, and so this is this is what gets me. Right. Is that anyone I would think the response from James and John would be no way. I'm out of here. See you later, Jesus. You got it. I'm sorry. I'll never ask about that again. Right. But this is what they're saying. This is their response to that. Look at verse thirty nine. And they said to him, we are able Right. That is to me when I first read that. Right. It's crazy. We are able and I don't understand why they would say that. Any sane person would probably run after Jesus would say that. 
right? Any sane person, like, I can't do what you're about to do. They say, if we are able, that just tells me that they are so concerned about themselves that they don't even realize what, they have, what they're doing is wrong. They are more concerned about themselves because if they realize that they could not die the death that Jesus had to die in order to save us, that they couldn't, they would think about other people and their righteousness and their salvation and go, man, Jesus, you know what? You're right. I, I can't do it. But their response, we are able. Okay? And, and here's Jesus' response to that. Look at verse 39 again. And they said to him, we are able. And here's Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. So I want you to hear this. Jesus' response is saying, yeah, you're, you're going to experience that. Right? When I first read that, I thought to myself, man, this is, this is, this is kind of scary. Right? The Bible promises that we will be persecuted. The Bible promises if you follow Jesus, your life more than likely will be harder than if you didn't follow Jesus Christ. Has anyone ever experienced hardship even after following Jesus? Raise your hands. I know you have. Right? It seems like to me, I don't know if this is true, this is just Donnie Theo, this is just my own, my own saying, right? Skip, this is just your pastor. I've experienced more hardship following Jesus than when I was doing my own thing. And that to me is the enemy saying, oh, I got you, you're good, I'm going to leave you be. You just keep doing what you're going to do. But the minute I started following Jesus, man, the enemy was mad. Right? Y'all with me on that? I, the enemy couldn't take me from Jesus, but he can trip me up. Right? Jesus said, you guys will experience hardship. You will experience death. You will experience this. And we know that to be true because they were persecuted. Right? James was martyred. John got kicked off into an island by himself. Right? We see that in the book of Revelation. They were persecuted. And so he's promising us, hey, if you're going to follow me, if you want to serve God and become a great Christian, you will experience persecution. You will experience death. And we know this to be true. But the good thing about Jesus is that he doesn't leave us hanging there. Amen? He doesn't just leave us with, hey, life's going to be hard. Sorry. That's it. I'll see you when you get to heaven. He continues. Look at verse 40. He said, But to sit at my hand or at my feet, um, or at my hand or at my left or to my right is not mine to grant, but it is those for whom it has been prepared. Right? So in this moment, um, or sorry, yeah, uh, in this moment, Jesus is saying, Okay, look, if it was even up to me who sits at my left or who sits at my right, it's not up to me. I couldn't pick anyways. But it's for those who have been prepared. Meaning, hey, God has control of what's happening here. Right? He gives all the power and authority to God, His Father, saying, hey, God is in control. Through persecution, through death, who sits at the left, who sits at the right, God is in control. It's not me. I couldn't pick. I don't have that authority. God is in control. Right? So He answers them with, hey, don't, don't talk to me. Talk to my Father. Right? That, that's a good, that is a good thing. Now look at, um, look at the next verse, verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. That word indignant is like they became angry, right? And, and here's what my thought is. I don't know this to be true, um, but in my thinking, I think that they weren't upset that they asked Jesus for these two seats. I think that they were mad at James and John because they beat them too. Right? I believe all 12 of them were entitled and thinking, hey, which one of us is going to have the most glory in heaven with Jesus? Right? My mama says, closed mouths don't get fed. 
Y'all believe that? I think these ten other disciples are going, dang it, I should have went and asked Jesus first. Not one of them is going to sit next to him in heaven. Right? And I, I don't know. That's just my own thinking. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know. Y'all can talk to me about that later. Um, but here's what I want us to focus on. Okay? This is the whole, the whole reason we're getting to these next verses. Jesus heard them and they're grumbling and they're fighting, which tells me they were probably Baptists because they were gossiping about each other. Right? Look at verse 42. And Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Let me read that again. I don't think y'all heard that. Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you want to be powerful in my kingdom, if you want these top two positions in my kingdom, if you want the Father to look down and go, my faithful and good servant, good job, you did what you're supposed to do. In order to be a great Christian, you have to be a servant. You have to be a servant. Whoever wants to be the greatest servant must be a slave to all. Now, that's a little different from what our culture tells us. Our culture tells us in order to be great, you have to be the top dog. In order to be great, you have to be successful. In order to be great, you have to be number one, above everybody else. Other people do things for you. Jesus flips that and says, if you want to be great, if you want to serve me, if you want to be the great Christian, you have to become a servant, a slave to all. How's that for flipping your thoughts upside down? Right? We've gone from being entitled, asking Jesus, hey, that spot's mine, to Jesus going, hey, if you want this, you have to become the lowest of the low. And that's tough. Right? Nobody likes to be the lowest of the low, am I right? Jesus again responds with grace and explains to them what it means to grace. And all that these disciples, these Christians, these Christ followers who saw Jesus face to face, all they can think about was, what does it take for me to get on top? I deserve to be the greatest with Jesus. And Jesus comes in and goes, no, no, no. You have to be last. You have to be the lowest. You have to serve everybody else. Being on the right and the left of Jesus means people do things for you. He says, no, you have to serve others. You guys with me this morning? The problem with us today, the reason why these doors in America, the churches are shutting forever is because we have the wrong idea of what serving looks like. We have the wrong mindset of what it means to be a Christian. We have that nasty word of entitlement stuck in our head like these disciples. And if we do not change that mindset, we are in trouble. If you do not have a mindset of Jesus Christ and what he says serving is, you will not experience the blessing that comes with you actually serving. 
Right? Jesus says to be great. In order to be great, you have to be a servant. Not just a servant, but a servant to all. For the best example I can think of, think of a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant. The minute you sit down, well, if they're good, right? If, they're, if you're at a good restaurant, right? By the way, we love El Paso and Sevierville. It's the best Mexican food we've had out here. If you want to take Lucy and I, we would love to go with you. <laughs> They know us by name pretty much, right? We, we love it there. But, and they have good waiters, waiters, I'm telling you. But a good waiter, they come in as soon as you sit down. They're there. Hey, what can I have? What do you want to drink? How are you doing? How's your day going? Cool. I'm going to go get that. Do y'all need a minute? They walk away. You look at what you want. They're patient, right? And, and they take down your order. There's your drink. And, and they go back and they make sure it's done right and how you want it, right? No tomatoes, no onions. They make sure of it. They come out. They give it to you. Be careful. The plate's hot. They don't want you to burn your fingers, right? And they come back. Oh, you want more ice? And they put Put two ice cubes in there for you, right? If you just want one, they take one out, right? And, and when you're done, they come and check on you. Do you want more chips? You, what else do you need? And hey, I'm good. Hey, you have a great day, right? And, and then they leave you be. If you've never experienced that, go to Chick-fil-A. The first thing that they say to you is, how may I serve you? How may I serve you? As Christians, we have to stop thinking that we are above everybody else and be reminded that Jesus, if you are a Jesus follower, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are called to be a servant, a slave to everyone, that you are called to serve. Just as a waiter gets annoying, hey, how can I love on you? Hey, what do you need? You are called to love and to serve other people. That is your calling. We have to stop looking. And here's another issue. I think that we look at people as an object of ministry. This is a big problem for churches. We see, and I've heard it from some of y'all, and I know that you have good intentions, but this is what I've heard. Hey, Brother Donnie, hey, I want you to know that so-and-so, you should probably go do this because so-and-so, and we might want to call them. And I have, it's, it's very rare, right? For, and I, I know that you want, me to, you want me to go serve on them, and I do. I will go do it. But I rarely hear this. Hey, Donnie, I met this family. They're in need, and this is what I've been doing. I've been going to their house. I've been trying to love on them. I'm trying to see what they need. So can you come in? Can you come with me? Oh, do y'all see that difference? I have no problem. Hey, I'm going. I promise you, I'm going to go love on people. And I love that y'all are seeking people and that you are giving me phone numbers. I love that. Please keep that up. But the mindset needs to be a little tweaked. I'd much rather hear you say, Darnie, hey, I've been loving on this family the best I know. I, I, I need help. I, I, I don't know what else to do. Can you come with me? I would be jumping in my car screaming for joy all the way to your house and we're going to go love on that family. We can't look at people as objects. We have to look at them like, man, they are the greatest thing in Jesus' eyes. I'm going to be their servant. I'm going to serve them. Not the other way around. We can't expect people to come in here to the church and go, hey, while we're here, can you come serve us? We have to get off that high seat and serve people. You have to have the mindset of a slave. You have to humble yourself and become lower than everybody else. And your pastor has failed at this. Okay? Don't, let me, don't let me fool you up here. When I was in high school, I was playing basketball. I had a job on the weekend for my mom's business and a job during the week after basketball practice. I would sometimes have to ride my bike downtown Modesto, right? And I, would work, I worked at this five-star fancy restaurant and I was the dishwasher. 
Okay? If you've ever worked in the restaurant business or know anything, that is the lowest of the low. You are the bottom of the totem pole. You don't even get the snacks that are made for the workers. You get the last of the snacks. Right? My teacher, she was a part-time waitress there. Right? She didn't make a lot of money. She's like, hey, do you need an extra job? We need a dishwasher. I said, yeah. And if you know anything about dishwashing in that type of atmosphere, it's a crazy process. Okay, I think they should get paid more than anybody else because of how gnarly and crazy that process is. You got to put certain dyes in this machine. You got to put them in a certain order. And they can't touch this thing, right? And then you, you put them in. The machine does its thing and it's loud and you're sweating and it's hot. You're burning yourself, right? And then they come out. You got to put them over here. You got to dry them. And at the end, you got to squeegee everything down into this gutter, right? And you got to squeegee the entire floor. And my job was also to do the prep work for the next day. Okay, so I, I'm gonna share a story. Okay, y'all, this is this is hey, this is a real moment with your pastor. This was before I rededicated my life and really got serious with Jesus. Okay, I just finished that whole process, and there was a man at this restaurant. They had a wine cellar, and he was in charge of this wine part. Right, they sold these expensive like two hundred, five hundred dollar bottles of wine. Right? I don't know anything about it. He would come in. He's wearing a three piece suit. He's also about this tall. I was already this tall when I was working this job. He was about this tall, ugly looking mustache, but fancy clothes. And I just finished. I was literally about to leave. He walks in with a sandwich, grabs a clean plate that I made, flopped it on there, got a fork and a knife, ate his sandwich with a knife and a fork. And that tells you anything about it, right? Got a cup, dirtied it, laid it on the counter and looked at me and said, aren't you missing something? I said, yeah, I'll get to that. No worries. And that, me and China, I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus, right? And I said, hey, man, uh, I, I never met you. What's your name? And he's like, ha. I'm not kidding. That's what he did. He, I don't even know his name to this day. He just said, ha. And I don't think that's his name, right? And, right? and so then I, I, I'm trying to like, man, what am I going to do? I, I, I want to be nice. God calls me to love people. And so, you know, I'm like, hey, man, uh, I, I like your shoes, man. And I didn't really like them, but they looked really fancy. And I'm like, man, I like your shoes. And, and he said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Empire, and I've told you about Modesto being a rough area. Empire is like the, like the rejects. That's where the rejects of Modesto live, right? That's where I'm from. I said, I'm from Empire. And he goes, oh, yeah, you'll never be able to afford these shoes. And this is where your pastor failed. I said some cuss words in my head that would make the devil blush if I said them out loud, okay? And I grinned and said, mm. and I turned around, and I washed those dishes, and I went home, Okay? Failing to really know how to love and serve this man, I failed at that, went home and sent in my resignation. I'm done washing dishes. But this is what happens. We are called to love people even if it's hard. I know some of y'all know some people in this community that have maybe done you wrong at some point in your life. There's some people that you know in your family that may have hurt you. You are called to forgive and to love them. You are called to serve them, even when it's hard. Even when those, those cuss words come in your head, you are called to be a servant to all. Are y'all with me this morning? So don't ask me to wash your dishes. <laughs> verse, 
Look back at verse 43. But it shall not be among you, but whoever would be a great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be a servant to all. And guys, that is great news from Jesus. What that tells us, what Jesus just said, is God doesn't see greatness as power or position or what you do or your assets or how big your car is or how large your bank account is. God doesn't care how well you are at sports. He doesn't care if you can speak well. He doesn't care what you do or how successful your business is. To be great in God's eyes, you have to serve other people. Some of you are dying. I'm I'm just from, do you know where I'm from? I'm from the trailer park. God doesn't care where you're from. To be great in his eyes is to be a servant. That is good news for us. God doesn't look at us and go, I don't love you because you don't do this, or I love you more because you do this. God just loves you. There's no condition to that. There's nothing you can do or not do to take away or to add God love, God's love to your life. He just loves you. That is great news. God has, um, in, in the Christian life, we, we have to have this desire and mindset of expressing our love for God and what He has done for us and how He loves us. We have to demonstrate our love to God through service and what it should look like if you love God, you worship God, right? You express that love. And another way that we can say that is that people know that you love God by the way you serve other people. If you do not serve other people, people are going to think that your God is horrible. If you're going around and you hate people and you ridicule people and you judge people, what do they think about the God that you serve and how he has? But when you show love and you show grace and you serve, man, they're going to have a better view of who God is. Are you all with me on that? Come on. The greatest commandment that we have is to love God above everything and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Greatness isn't even how many times you've come to church in a month. I'm glad that you're here, but that's not what greatness. It doesn't determine you as a good follower of Christ. Greatness isn't how much Bible you have learned, right? Greatness isn't how much Bible you have memorized. Greatness isn't how many mission trips you've been on in your lifetime. Those are all good things. It's good to study the Bible, but that does not determine how great of a Christian you are. What determines how great of a Christian you are is how well you serve other people. And let me get this straight, right? We study the Bible. We come to church because we're, that's what we have to do. Like, we need that. We need the scripture, right? It's a, it's a lamp to our feet. We need to know what God is calling us to do. We, we need to come and be a part of the community. And to, that's how we serve each other, right? We're in a community with one another. But that is not determining how great you are. The goal is never to store up more information in your head about the Bible. The goal is not to know as many songs in the Baptist hymnal as you possibly can memorize. And I don't know how y'all memorize all those, those songs in the hymnal, but some of y'all know it by the back of your hand, right? You know exactly what song it is before and what page number it's on before we even start singing it, right? But that's not what we, what our goal should be. Our goal should be to know that God is doing something so good inside of you. And that love for God that's building up in your heart, the goal should be to let that overflow into, way, into the way that you live your life and let it fall onto everybody around you. So why we read the Bible? We read it so that we can pour it out on other people. 
Why do we come to church? We come to church so that we can, hey man, God is good. I want to bring more people here. Right? Why do I worship God? Because God is worthy to be worshipped. I want, to, I want that to flow out onto other people. That is why we do those things. But with service, some things happen where you can tell how much someone loves God by how they serve. So if you, God is, if you are your own God, right, you serve yourself, you, you're going to, we're going to know who you serve because you're selfish, right? If money is your God and you worship your money, we're going to know by what? By the car you drive, or by the toys you got, or, or you know, okay. If 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 um, your relationship, if you're if you're anything that you put in place of God, whatever you truly worship, people know because we can see it in how you serve. That's what convicted me. If you were to, if, if it's like God was asking Donnie, if I laid out your life in front of everybody right now, would they know that you truly serve me with your money? with what you listen to, with what you watch, with how you treat people? Would they know that you serve the true God or they, would they think that you serve yourself or some other false idol? That's something that you have to ask yourself, right? Now, I feel the need. This is what I feel like I need to get real with you. I know I'm not preaching anything new here. Most of y'all, I can tell by your faces and how you're looking at me. Donnie, I've heard the sermon on service. I'm going to serve God. I get it. But I think that there is a tendency when you hear a sermon on service, you do one or two things, right? And I can see some of y'all are doing some of y'all are doing both of these things right now, right? But there's two things that you can do when you hear a sermon on serving. One, you can completely check out. I've heard this. I got it. I served Donnie. I'm done. Or basically, you will sit there and you will talk yourself out of serving. I, my back hurts. I can't do this, right? Um, so if you're struggling with one of these two things, that it looks like this, you're going to come and tell me, Donnie, Man, I'm so busy. If you only knew how involved my kids are at school and in and sports. And man, Donnie, if you only knew, how, man, I don't feel good, Donnie. Man, I, and Donnie, I don't even have an hour to myself throughout the week. If that is what's happening in your heart, man, you have grown complacent in your walk. If you are already making up excuses in your mind as we're sitting here talking about service, you have grown complacent in your walk and you need to pray to God that he will bust down that wall, fire you up again so that you can get to serving him once more. The most dangerous thing in a Christian walk is to grow complacent. I go to church, I'm good, I, don't, I, don't, I think God's happy with what I'm doing. I'm busy. I go to church on Sunday though. Right? Do not grow complacent in your walk. Some of you, um, you're, you're already just fighting it inside of you. I mentioned this morning a couple ways to, to, to go and serve the community, to serve God, to serve His people. And I had one little girl come and tell me, hey, I signed up. And I, brought, it, I thought, man, praise God. Praise God she came in. I didn't see anybody else run out the door to go sign up. I'm just saying I'm just saying. Look at verse 45. And, and, and I think that if you are struggling with this, um, with serving, I believe this next verse should convict you. And if it doesn't, I'm praying for you. You're missing out on something. Look at verse 45. For even the Son, this is Jesus' response. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
For the Son of God came to serve, not to be served. This is the gospel. Jesus humbled himself, became a human, left heaven. If I get there, I am not leaving. He left heaven and came to the sinful earth, walked around here, lived a perfect life so that he can serve you, so that he can serve me. Jesus even gets to the point in his life where people straight up hated him. But he does that because he serves us. Because he loves us. Even at the point where he's getting persecuted and he's getting mocked. And as he's crucified and he's on the cross, before his last breath, he utters, God, Father, please forgive them. For they do not know what they do. Even to Jesus' last breath, he was serving us. Forgive them that do not know what to do. they're doing. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to serve. And that is amazing that Jesus, God, came to serve you. We don't deserve that, right? We're not so entitled to say, yeah, I'm glad that Jesus was supposed to come do that. Because I'm so awesome. I've never heard that as a pastor. I've heard some other things like it. But I've never heard, yeah, Jesus, because I'm so awesome, he came to save me. No, we do not deserve that. Jesus, it comes and he's, he's saying, look, I, I understand that. I, I, hold on. I don't think we understand that Jesus left the throne room of heaven where he was being praised by the, the, high, the, the, the elders and the, and the four creatures where he's being praised and glorified and telling them telling over and over how awesome he is and how powerful he is and how glory, um, glorified he is. And he left that to come here to be spit on. To be mocked, to be called a drunk, to be ridiculed, to be chased, and, and, and to be pursued by his enemies. And he does that because he loves you. He chose to leave that because he loves you. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve us. Because of Jesus, we are forgiven. Because of Jesus, we have new life. Because of Jesus, we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus, we can walk in pure joy and our purpose in our life. Because of Jesus, we can spend eternity with God the Father in heaven, worshiping Christ forever. The amazing thing about the gospel and the amazing thing about verse 45 is the idea of the Son of Man coming to serve, not to, uh, not to be served, and to give His life and service as a ransom for many. As a ransom for many. The call from Jesus is simply not just to hear the gospel and go, okay, Jesus, because you have died for me, I'm going to work for you. Jesus, because you've done this for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay it back forward to you and I'm going to serve you, Jesus. That's not what the gospel is for. The gospel is so that you can be served by Jesus and be served again and again and again, over and over and over. Jesus continuously serving you. And the hope is that because of God and Jesus and what he's doing in your life, you don't go, oh, because now I'm saved, because I'm forgiven, I'm going to be good, I'm going to be a great Christian. The goal is that you experience Jesus, and because you love Jesus and what he's done for you, you serve others in the hopes that they might experience how good Jesus Christ is. That is the goal. But we are entitled. They need to come in here if they want to know who Jesus is. 
hey, you're in here, what are you going to do for us? When we pray, Jesus, hey, I, before I ask you, Jesus, can you just do this for me? The goal is not for you, but for Jesus to serve you because Jesus wants to serve us. Are you all with me this morning? The call of the gospel is not necessarily just to serve, but to allow Jesus to work in your life. Christ served us, so we serve others with the hope that they would know Jesus one day. Um, I had a friend, his name is Cody Finch. Cody Finch is about this big. He was at our university at East Texas Baptist University, and he was on staff there as a, as a student, and he allowed... He, Somehow he made it to where I was the president of Student Foundation, pretty much like all the events that take place on the campus. And we would go into his office, he would buy us two of the largest Red Bulls you've ever seen in your life, right? And we would drink those and we would plan events out on our campus for the college students, like fun dances and stuff like that. Some of the things that we plan are like traditions now at ETBU, at our college. And so it's awesome to see how God was moving. But one of the things that Cody Finch ingrained in my head, I was nervous to be the president, right? I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not meant to be like a president of something. He said, hold on, Donnie, as long as you are the leader and you outserve everybody on your team and you outserve wherever you are, you're going to be fine. And, and he ingrained that. Outserve other people. Outserve other people. Outserve your team. Outserve. And when I got married and I was, I was, he was kind of like a mentor, he was telling me, Donnie, outserve your wife. You want a good marriage? Outserve your wife. More than she serves you, you serve your wife. Right? And I try to do that. So I, I hear this and it's ingrained in my head from Cody Finch. Right? Serve. Outserve. Outserve. You, you, you never have an event somewhere. You, when you leave that place, it better be way more clean than it was when you first got there. Serve. Outserve everybody. Outserve the entire room. Be the servant. And, and so how, as I'm thinking about this, this is how the Lord truly convicted me as the, your pastor of Duncan Baptist Church. I'm so afraid, and I never want this in my ministry, to be known as the pastor and have our church to be known as the church that has an awesome program, that has an awesome children's ministry, that has an awesome youth ministry, has an awesome adult ministry, has an awesome senior adult. I don't want us to be known for, having, for being the cool program church. I more want to be known as the pastor and have our church to be known as the church that if there's someone in the community that doesn't believe in God and you would ask them, hey, what do you think about Dublin Baptist Church? And they go, man, I don't really believe in God, but they come and they serve me and my family so well. I want to know more about God because of them. Y'all see what I'm saying? I can care less about how big this gets or how big our programs get. If we're not serving, we're in trouble. If the community doesn't know that we love them, we're in trouble. And if you're new here, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not speaking to you directly. I'm speaking to my, to my congregation. Guys, we have to be having the right mindset of serving. Serving God, serving each other, but more importantly, serving other people. Being a servant to all. That's what we should be known for. As Christians, greatness is not about what we do. It's not about what you do or who you know, how popular you are. It doesn't matter how good of sports you are because I could probably beat you in basketball. It doesn't matter about how much money you have because somebody else has more money than you. It doesn't matter about the toys. Greatness is 
completely dependent on the work of Christ in your life, in the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down and served you by giving His life as a ransom for you so that you could be saved. Y'all know what ransom means. If someone kidnapped my wife and they left me a ransom note, you better believe I'm doing everything on that paper. Y'all seen the movie Taken? Anybody seen that where the, the guy's daughter got kidnapped? And he's like, hey, I don't, you don't know me, I'm coming to get you. Right? So ever, someone ever kidnapped Uzi, they better watch out. I promise you. Right? <laughs> Jesus looks at us and goes, what has sin done? Sin has left a ransom note on my children. Sin has left a ransom note on the people that I love the most. What do I need to do, Father, in order to give my people back? And the ransom note of our sin, the ransom note for your sin, equals death. The ransom note says, you have to die for your child. If you want them, Jesus, you have to die for it. And Jesus says, I will pay it and be the ransom for all people so that they will know I love them and I've came to serve them. And he paid that ransom note with his perfect life. So that you may know who Jesus Christ is. That is the gospel. You can experience that type of love. He serves you so that you can experience his new life. You can experience a new mindset. You can experience a new beginning. Jesus wants you to look at your neighbors, not as projects, but as ways that you can serve them. Your family, your co-workers, the boss you might not really like. Jesus calls you to serve them. Not to pay it forward, but in hopes that they might know who Jesus Christ is because you have served them so well. We serve God, we serve Jesus because Jesus serves us. Do you want to be a great Christian? There's Christians in here, right? Do you want to be a great Christian? Serve. Humble yourself and serve as Jesus has served you. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to be a ransom for all. To be a great Christian means to serve. Let's pray. God, thank you for, God, just how good you really are. God, thank you for the fact that 